welcome to The Phoenix Nest, the podcast where a couple of friends read some romance novels and then discuss them. I am Jess. And I'm Kat, and today we're missing Bethany. Bethany! That's what happens when you don't do your homework like you're supposed to. I am definitely throwing shade, Bethany. We love you, but do your homework. Girl, I'm gonna buy you a <laughs> Get planner. Get a calendar. We're buying you a planner. <laughs> yes. We're going to set up a calendar in your phone. This is what happens. You don't even get to sit here and talk to us about the end of a rogue by any other name. I had to look at the title. It's been two weeks since we recorded. Yeah. And I mean, I've been finished for like a month now, maybe. Yeah. And I think you finished like a week ago, right? Because you finished Um, in preparation for last weekend. I could consult the spreadsheet. Oh, there you go. So I'm neurotic as most of my friends know, and I have a full spreadsheet that has every book I own, as well as every book I read for the year uh, in a separate spreadsheet. I finished, I finished 11 days ago. Okay, so almost two weeks. Yeah, almost two weeks. So it's been, um, it's been some time. So Mm -hmm. if we forget a few key pieces, we apologize. Uh, We are trying to record and also read the next book in uh for our podcast so bear with us uh, i'm going to try not to get that book confused with the one we're current we're currently discussing but i, I think we'll be okay they're very different they books. are very different uh so we'll go ahead and we'll just tell you what we're going to be reading after this particular book uh we are going to be reading a princess in theory by Alyssa cole it is amazing so far i am not that far cat has already finished yes because she's a boss-ass bitch and on top of her <laughs> shit, whereas I am not. <laughs> I, life is hard sometimes. Uh, so let's go ahead. We're going to talk about chapters 12 through to the end. Uh, that was 12 to 22 with an epilogue? Yes. I didn't feel like the epilogue mattered, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah, we're going to just go in you know chronological order of events. <laughs> Yes, so we ended the last podcast having discussed the big fight between Penelope and Bourne. Right. She yelled, don't touch me, and she became my personal Patronus by saying that. Don't fucking touch me, ever. (laughs) I don't like being touched. Uh, So we we had that situation happen, and now coming into chapter 12, we have the reappearance of Tommy, the best friend who's kind of stuck in the middle because he loves Penelope. See, this is that weird love triangle stuff. See, but I don't think it was really love triangle. It was, he was trying to do a good thing for Penelope to kind of help her out because he knew that Michael was coming back to get her for the land. I can, I can definitely see where you're going with that. But I also feel like anytime someone who isn't directly involved in the romantic aspect tells you like, this is for your own good. It's kind of a big red flag of don't tell me what to do because your best interest for me is not always what I want. And I think that's where we had some problems because, yeah, Tommy is like this childhood friend who cares a lot about Penelope, but he's offering her a life of boredom. Oh, yeah. Where he's just like, you can do whatever you want, kind of like what Bourne is saying. 
but with way less passion. Like, so, no possibility. Mostly with, with Tommy, it would be, you can do whatever you want, because I'm heading off to India, regardless of what's happening. Because that's a conversation that they have in this chapter. Right. That Where he's, he's going no matter what. No matter what. And that's mostly because we find out a big secret, and mm-hmm. that is that Tommy knows he is not who he thinks he is. His father is not his actual father. Right. Uh, so we have that situation. But with Bourne, we have the jealousy and how jealous he is of Penelope doing literally anything. He doesn't want her in the hell room, you know, the casino, whatever that's called. And uh, <laughs> The I'm gaming s- hell. <laughs> I'm still struggling with the terms, but that's... That's because the the Alyssa Cole book that we're going to be reading is set in modern times. So we get email and I understand that. I'm old, but I'm not that old. Gotcha. Uh, so we have that situation where Tommy is trying to save Penelope and Penelope is very set in her ways. Sure, she's bored. She's upset, but she doesn't want that sedate life. She's over that life. She was told she was going to have an adventure. Right. And we also have this underlying issue of her main concern is actually being able to find her sister's eligible husbands because she doesn't like who they have been paired with already. Yeah. And she knows that even though she has not a great reputation, but she's trying to build that back up, that by her running away with another man and just disappearing, her sisters will be, you know, bottom of the pile as picks for wives And she's very, very conscious of that being her fault. I think what irritates me the most about this book is that because it is set in the Victorian Regency era, Mm -hmm. it's her fault that she couldn't keep... She's older. She couldn't keep her man because he married for love in the end. And it frustrates me to no end that she has to make these decisions for her life because it's going to affect her younger sisters who are un- unwed at this point. That was frustrating. That was incredibly frustrating for me. Especially maybe because now we're like, well, that's not a thing. Like, you're going to do what makes you happy and you healthy and keeps you being you. Yeah. Whereas she's like, I have to be self-sacrificing and she's kind of been raised that way. And some people are that way by nature. And it kind of seems like she's one of those people. Yeah. But she also has this just innate sense of adventure that's really at war with her her duties she knows what her duties are and where they lie but at the same time she does want to have that adventure because she says that she's already lived that life yes i've already done that i don't want to go back to doing that it didn't end well the first time can we not i agree don't do it (laughs) honestly penelope run far far away if you can but you can't because you're a fictional character and you're not real right uh, so I got really excited about Mrs. Worth, the housekeeper, the attractive housekeeper that's younger and she kind of knows everything about Bourne. Mostly because at this point in the book in chapter 12, Penelope and Mrs. Worth kind of team up together and they have that empowering moment where, you know, Mrs. Worth is like, we're going to give him all we can because he's being a dumbass. So we're going to fight back. We're not right. going to let him pull his bullshit. And she, but she also kind of screws over Penelope a couple times because she's like, well, we already sent a note to your husband that he's here, like that you have a visitor. Hey, by the way, I'm on your side, but I also sent that letter. But also sorry. my loyalty is to 
the master of the house. I think that Mrs. Worth is someone that I would have liked to see a spinoff of. Because she never explains her story and how she came to be in need of this job and not a sexual partner with Bourne. She doesn't ever explain it, but they do mention that she has, you know, moments of being very sad and moments of needing to explain different things to Penelope. And I think she would have been a really good character to have a spinoff and just have her own novel. That kind of explains how she was saved or how she came to work for Born, or whatever you want to call it, because she clearly has a very tragic history, but never is able to talk about it in this book. I That's something that I would have liked to have explored more of. Because she's not a flat character at all. No. She's there consistently, and she becomes like a confidant, and she becomes important because she's important in Born's household already. Yeah. And th- so she, in turn, becomes important to Penelope, in different ways. So I have some conflicting emotions in regards to Mrs. Worth's character, not because she's a flat character, but because she is this fleshed out character, not fully fleshed out, but fleshed out enough that I want to know more about her. Because we're hinting at a background and we're hinting at her role of importance and how she knows everyone and how she understands the workings of socializing within the ton. But that's as much as we know. I, I would hope that in the next books that we're going to get more from her, but I know you don't particularly want to move on with this series. Uh, that's something that I might do in the future, kind of in my right. own time. But I was given a character that I want to know more about and I didn't get anything. It's, right. There's she so was just many there to be there. Characters that are background characters that we know more about, like their titles and their histories and stuff. Yeah. But not her, even though she's kind of in the forefront of that house. She's managing and running that house. Well, I feel like with a lot of the characters that are in the house that, that Bourne has taken in, we know that they were taken in by Bourne, but we don't know what their circumstances were or why they did it or why he did it, why he chose to take in these people who needed help. And I don't like thinking that it's just a vehicle for him to be shown as like an actual good-hearted person. And I think that's maybe the purpose, that you've... You've got these people who are written in who are people that other people would ignore or pity or, like, just completely write off. And he's like, listen, I've been there, and I'm not there now, so I can help other people. And that's a really humanizing factor for Bourne, which is great, but it also creates this weird kind of dynamic where you're unsure of whether or not their sole purpose is him showing he's not a bad person Versus him being an actual good person because he's not exploiting their stories. Like, oh, I took this poor child off the street and gave them a job. Because he doesn't ever say that. Yeah, no. But it's written in such a way that that's kind of what we have to assume. It's, it's is implied. that he was, like, collecting poor people. Well, I feel like what McLean could have done for that, she could have shown that Bourne, yes, is a good person. He comes off as gruff and rough and angry at the world. And he can do that. That's fine. That's his prerogative at this point. Yes, we get it. Poor pitiful me. I lost everything at the age of 21. Get the fuck over it. But by implying that he's picking up these poor, sad, innocent souls. There's more to it. There's more to it. And we're not getting it. We're not getting that more to it situation. I mean, we could assume that this was just a vehicle to make him more human. Or we could assume that this is something that maybe for a later project she'll delve into writing kind of precedenting stories, which would be fine, too. Yeah, I'd be into it's that. It's just, as the characters are there, you'd like to know more, and it is, in any book, frustrating. 
when you're like, oh man, that's a great character. Why don't we know more about them? Kind of, it's like a Neville Longbottom and Harry Potter thing. Like you hear about all this greatness and what's going on and how cool it could have been, but you never get to know the real character because they're in the shadows. It's the golden trio versus the silver trio. And it's just, what are you going to do? Anyways, <laughs> back to it. Okay, we went on a little bit of a tangent for Mrs. Worth because we... We want her to have some recognition. She needs to have the recognition. I, I enjoyed her as a character. Uh, so the next kind of, the, the next point I have, I take <laughs> notes because, again, I'm neurotic. Lots of notes. I have a lot of notes and I have a lot of sticky flags in all the books. But the next note I have is that Bourne needs to figure it the fuck out and he needs to stop being cold one minute and then the next minute being like, that's my wife. I want to bury my face into her. We get it. You like her vagina, Bourne. Calm down. <laughs> it's probably nice. It's probably great. But there's no reason to be so weird about it. So hot and cold. It, it's very black or white for Bourne. It's not very... There's no gray in the middle of it. No. And that, I feel, is something that other people often face if they feel like they're in some kind of forbidden relationship or if they're unsure about how they actually feel about someone and they're not willing to take that really big, all-consuming... I'm in love with you, step. And I think maybe we have a lot of Bourne going on where he's just really conflicted about so many things because his whole goal was revenge. And he maintains that until almost the end of the book. Like, it's the last chapter, I think, where he's just kind of like, no, I actually love you. And you're like, finally. It was finally said it. (laughs) The very, very end with the twist that I actually enjoyed the end. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. The end was great. We'll get to the end. Okay. But it, there, yeah, there's a lot with, with Bourne not really knowing how he feels and how he wants to go about expressing those feelings. He hates her one minute, but he loves her and he, he should love her because she's an old friend. And there's all these conflicting emotions with Bourne. And I feel like Bourne had a lot more in regards to his emotions than Penelope did. Because Penelope kind of got complacent with her emotions. I still love him, but he's being a dick. I can definitely see that. And I feel like maybe Bourne is a character where he didn't internalize hardly anything during the relationship. He very much had his emotions written as though they're on the surface, which is totally fine. But it also made it very difficult for the reader to not have that kind of confidential, oh, this is a secret that he actually loves her moment. Because he'd be like, she's so beautiful and magical and I love her. And they'd be like, but I have to focus on this revenge, so I'm going to be cold-hearted and mean. And it was never a mixture. Well, it and was there was never a discussion. There was a lot of born thinking that he couldn't make Penelope happy, but he wasn't even trying. He didn't talk to Penelope. Until later. Communication is lubrication, as oh we gosh, found on that card. The best card we saw today, I think. I we went that's true. We went to this art fair kind of thing, and it was amazing, and it was great, and Kat found the the best cards ever, and one of them says communication is lubrication, and we kind of <laughs> looked at each other and was like, yes. Like, that's totally true. <laughs> and it goes back to this, that he just doesn't speak to her. He doesn't ask her. What can I do to make you happy? He just immediately says, nope, can't happen. As someone who has been drawn to, like, the quiet, silent, strong types, because that's just a really awful thing uh, that I do, it is kind of a realistic thing, though. Not discussing your emotions openly is still kind of a thing 
that is seen as masculine. Like, I feel like in almost every book we're going to read, especially if they're older or based on historical things, we're going to see the song Silent, the strong, silent type man. And that's just kind of a normal thing. And it's a really unfortunate, toxic masculinity thing that we've kind of normalized. Like, men aren't supposed to cry. Men are supposed to have, like, two feelings and it's horny and angry. And and that's kind of it. Whereas women are supposed to be super complicated. They're supposed to be strong and, like, badasses. But they're also supposed to be, like, simpering and, like, open and willing to try love and change someone. And it's really frustrating just because that is an actual problem that I think a lot of men and women face. They don't fit into those two roles, but they're told they're supposed to. That is, that goes back to gender roles and where we're raised to think you were born with feminine parts, therefore you will do these feminine things. Right. And you were born with masculine parts and you will do these masculine things. And I would like to see a romance novel. Hello, Cat Sebastian. I know you have them. <laughs> I have some downloaded. Uh, but that is because Cat Sebastian writes LGBT novels. She writes from that world. So I, what I'm saying is I'd like to see some characters who don't fit the mold of I am feminine, therefore I must do these feminine things, and I am masculine, and I must do these masculine things. I want to see the the exploration of feelings and emotions and characters, even, including the men. But that's because I want to see that in real life. Anyways. I think most people want to see that reflected in real life. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is plenty of opportunity for people to practice open communication, and it's just extremely difficult, especially right now. Our generation is the generation that wants to talk about everything, and we're bringing up younger generations that way, which is great, but then we've got older generations who are like, no, we don't talk about that. That stays in your head, or whatever it is. And that makes it difficult, but also explains why there are so many books out there that have these really normalized gender roles where, again, I said it before, but it's really formulaic. They are very, they can be very formulaic. I don't read a lot of romance. I haven't read a lot of romance. So Mm -hmm. I, I see where you're coming from in regards to how formulaic they can be. I feel like that's part of the stigma, though, that when when you read one historical romance, you've read them all or you when you read one erotic novel, you've read them all. And that's kind of why we're doing this. We want to explore because most of of these things are very cookie cutter character. Like, even though I really enjoyed this book and I really enjoyed how the characters rounded themselves out throughout the book, it's still very much what was expected to happen. And we'll get more to that towards the end of the book. But at this point, we're in chapters 12 and 13, and they've had this argument, and Tommy shows up again, and now Penelope is just like, I'm going to do whatever I want. And she kind of just wreaks havoc on Bourne's life in the name of adventure. I fucking loved that, though. I loved that. danger. Like, she took some big risks. And I thought it was interesting that his, you know, his fellow owners are, like, willing to to be like, yeah, no, come to the gaming hell. We'll take care of you. It's not a big deal. I love the other characters. <laughs> um, particularly, I really love Chase. Right. I really loved Cross. Right. Temple, we don't see a lot of. Right. Temple's the, like, the big burly. Oh, yeah, he's the bodyguard. That's all he wants to do. 
Okay, we're going to move into chapter 13. Sure. Because of the bodyguard situation you just said. So chapter 13 is Penelope realizes, I need to go get my man. Fuck this waiting. I'm going. Sure, he can find out he's got the letter that Tommy's coming, whatever. But I'm going to the casino and I'm going to fuck shit up. He won't take me. I'm doing it myself. So she gets there. There is a guy sitting at the door and he is described as having a fist the size of a ham. Which is terrifying no matter what size of ham you're thinking of. Okay, but my brain immediately went to like an Easter ham? Spiral cut. Like a giant honey baked ham? Like how big are his fists? There are different sizes of a hams. But think about even small hams are pretty big because they're meant to feed like four people. Yeah, my brain immediately went to... <laughs> Okay. A 20 person ham? Like a giant 20 person <laughs> ham you have at Easter. Cause I don't know about like my family. I don't know about yours. My family eats exclusively ham for Easter. And then Christmas we have a turkey and a ham, but it's like a smaller ham because the ham isn't the main portion of the meal. It's the of turkey. Not, no, yeah. Of course not. You know, white people, it's the way we is. But for me, like I'm going, so are we talking like a Christmas ham? Or an Easter ham. Like, (laughs) how large are his hands? I actually physically put the book down and imagined this big burly bodyguard with literal hams for fists. Let's not describe things in food metaphors because it makes me hungry and I have to think about it. It's it's just really difficult, especially because I have relatively small hands. You do. And so for me thinking of like, like just like can of spam (laughs) ham. Is what I'm thinking, like the size, and even that's like really like this. Okay, but I can totally understand the issue, especially because he was also described as reading books, like leather bound books. That, that was later. The titles of yeah, that was later in the oh in the chapter when she's actually invited to the gaming hell, right into the like secret into doors, the right. Yeah, so, she gets invited into the secret doors later in, and that guy, I think. He could quite possibly be, like, if you're going to make a book about Mrs. Worth, can it please be Mrs. Worth and the, and the door really guy? smart door guy. Please. <laughs> Sarah McLean, I need this more than anything in life. We're going to ship it. We're gonna. I ship it 100%. I don't know that guy's name. I don't care to know his name until I get a book with Mrs. Worth and smart door guy. <laughs> it... Yeah, I feel like I would support that. So when Bourne finally sees Penelope on, yes. gaming, on the gaming floor, right. and he basically loses his ever-loving mind, you don't belong here. It sucks because she's having such a good time. She's like looking around like, this is really cool. And look at, they're playing this game and this game. And then he like wants to argue with her. Well, and she wins. She she puts a, she's like yeah I'll which put makes it down. him more mad it makes him so angry because <laughs> he won't gamble since losing everything which like understandable and because she doesn't know how to gamble yeah she has no clue what she's doing she's like yeah just put it on that number sounds good and then she fucking wins mm-hmm. he's pissed he's so mad he's so mad which like that always sucks when you win and someone's mad that you won <laughs> like that's the worst. With that, though, he comes out and he kind of tells her, you don't belong here. And she stands up for herself and she says, you promised me an adventure and I'm not getting it because you're too afraid to let me see the side of your life. Right. 
How did you feel about her finally standing up for herself and saying, fuck off, asshole? I felt like that was, first of all, a really good moment for her to speak up because she's already doing something that he thinks she shouldn't be doing. Throughout the whole book, there are these little instances where he's like, well, you shouldn't do that. Like, and I'm going to do that because you shouldn't do that or whatever. And this is one where she like knowingly took the step and she took herself to do something, which I think is really, really great because a little bit of independence doesn't really hurt you. She maybe chose the wrong way to show her independence because it was a dangerous place. And that's explained in the story as well. It is a true gaming hell, meaning that there are people there who are very popular or have a lot of social standing. And she needs to realize that she's not safe as a single woman in that place, which is kind of how you feel in your everyday life as a single woman going places, which is really unfortunate. But she didn't seem to understand. I don't know if that's her being naive or her being rebellious or like a combination or one led to the other but she didn't seem to understand that she was in a place where she very easily could have been taken advantage of and that's more why he was upset it's quite literally a den of debauchery Mm -hmm. it's filled with these gentlemen who are in gentlemen they are not gentlemen right they are not at all gentlemen and i think that for her, it was an adventure. For him, it's sheer terror. But later on the book, in the book, we do get to see that there is a different side of the club that he could have been taking her to, but he didn't. Because even that is corruption. And when... So to me, this really speaks to that he all this time really did love her. Because when you love someone, you want to protect them a lot. Yeah. And he's trying to protect her from seeing this really seedy side of the ton. Like, these are people who have money. These are people who have titles. And they're there gambling and getting prostitutes and getting all crazy. And he doesn't want that for her. But he is also not realizing that his corruption of her and his manipulation of her is not really any different than anything that's happening. Well, and I think, too, though, she kind of needs to see that there is a side of the ton that is incredibly corrupt. And there is this debauchery that's going on. She's basically been shunned by these people who tell her she's not good enough and she'll never be good enough. She's not pretty enough. She couldn't keep a man. All these horrible things. Yet they're going to places like this and they're fucking around and they're doing stuff that they're basically Mm -hmm. telling her she's a horrible person for not being able to keep this man because he's in love with another woman. But these are the people that are losing their money. They're getting sex workers. They're doing questionable things out in a room where other people can see them. So she kind of does need to see that, though, to see, hey, look, there's more to it than just them being shitty to you about this one situation. And she's kind of stuck in this neutral place because she's been told, like you said, she's not good enough to be an elite. But she's also not bad enough to belong in this hellhole. And that's a really difficult place to be in, too. Because if you don't belong to anything but normal and you don't like normal, then you become Penelope and you have this problem of wanting to fit in somewhere. And that somewhere is going to be where your husband is. Well, that is that is someone making a mold for you and forcing you into that mold mm-hmm. and not allowing you to do anything outside of that. Which is also a very common thing in historical romance. Yeah, I'm... I'm seeing that in some of these historicals that I have picked up and and looked at and was like, oh god, how what am I getting myself into? (laughs) Uh, So that's kind of why I want to switch off and and do different different books at different times, kind of a thing. Uh, So let's go ahead and move into chapter 14. It's just boring being depressing. 
again. It's, it's really weird how it switches perspectives, and it's almost as though you read nothing. It feels repetitive at times. Because he can't suck it up long enough to do anything different until he decides to go ice skating. I love that. Yeah. I know that was like a really stupid like Hallmark moment, but it was so cute. It was a Hallmark moment. It took 245 pages for someone to call Bourne out on his absolute total bullshit. <laughs> and it was Chase that did it. Of course. Because Chase was the voice of reason. There is something that I have to say. Oh my god, here we go. Okay, Kat is mad about this because I picked it up and nobody else No, I'm not really mad did. that you picked it up. I'm mad that it exists at all. And that's valid, though. That's valid that it it's exists. It's super annoying to me. Okay. That's what makes it. Not that you figure it out, because whatever. But because it exists, and it exists as a tool to promote the next portion of the series. It Actually, it's not even the next book. It's the fourth book. I don't care what number it's book just, it is. It's, it's so annoying This to is me. the reason why Kat's not going to finish the series. <laughs> it. She was so frustrated when I texted. So we have a group chat for the the podcast and i'm reading this book cat's finished the book bethany has finished the book i'm still reading it because i'm slow as fuck right now and i'm reading it and i something clicked in my head and went oh oh shit chase is not a man chase is a woman and at no point do any of the partners ever use a single pronoun in regards to chase i went back and i looked because I was like, I need evidence to support my theory. I, I can't just say this is what it is. And I went back and I looked and at no point do Temple Cross and Born call Chase any pronouns that are masculine, he, him, any of that. It isn't until later in the book and the only person who identifies Chase as being he, him is Penelope because Penelope doesn't really know. And I don't know that, does Penelope ever meet Chase? I can't remember. I don't think so. This is what happens when you finish the book two weeks ago. It's not Chase that takes her into the pool. No, it's not. But it is Chase that invites her, and we'll get into that. But I tell this to the girls, and I say, hey, y'all do know that Chase is a chick, right? And Kat was pissed. (laughs) Because I have the whole series. I bought them for dirt cheap at my favorite local independent bookstore, uh, Shop Local. Please keep the independent bookstores alive. They love you when you do. So I got them all there and I brought them home and I I made this revelation that Chase is a woman and I get up and I start going through the books because the books are part of the, uh, the rules of scoundrels. So all of the books are following one of the quote unquote scoundrels. So we've got Born, Chase, Temple Cross, all that. Book number four follows Chase. And when you read the back of the book, you find out that Chase is a woman. And Kat, I don't know that I have ever seen Kat do a full, like, 180 and how pissed off she was. She was like, I mean, it's good for what it is. I really liked it. And then I tell her this. The next thing I know, it's, wait, what? That's not a plot device. This is bullshit. This is lazy. And tell tell me more about how you feel about that. Okay. So... <laughs> So I've said it before, I don't mind when other characters exist and have their own novels or sequels or they're in some way involved that branches into their own story. I think that's totally fine. I don't like when it's supposed to be a surprise. There is no reason that we couldn't have learned that Chase was a woman from the beginning. There's nothing that changes it, nothing that holds it back. It's not a huge deal. And it would have made a lot more sense... Had we known that 
because Bourne does talk about how, like, he's taken in fallen women. And so we can only assume that that's what Chase would count as. And if you read further into, like, the blurbs on the other books, that is basically her story. I just come from this place of not understanding why it has to be a secret or a surprise when it would only add more validity to what's happening. Because it would make a lot more sense knowing that Chase was giving all this sage wise advice to Bourne about how he should be treating his wife and how she as a woman needs this or that. It would have made her a lot more legitimate of a character for the rest of the book. Because when you have someone you assume or you're meant to assume is a man telling another man how to treat a woman, you get into this weird place of, but how would you know? How do you have a different view when all of the other men think the same way, right. but suddenly you're totally separate and off on this different wavelength? Right. And that's how I kind of figured it out. It was one of those where Cross, Temple, and Born are all kind of like, well, you've got a wife, what the fuck ever. And Chase has this totally different form of thinking. And the way Chase describes some things and says some of the things, I went, that's a pretty feminine view. Which is also frustrating because it very easily could have been a gay man. It very easily could have been a sibling of some kind. It very easily could have been literally anything else other than a surprise. The thing that frustrates me the most, I think, with this, and there is something that frustrates me, and it's because it's I'm very excited about it, first off, because I figured it out. Right. I'm really bad at mysteries, like really bad at figuring out any of that stuff. That's why I don't really read a lot of mysteries. Sorry, Trisha, I'm trying. For me, though, what frustrates me is that we have this character who could have been a gay man or could have been a It's just a trans opportunity. Yeah, it could have been a trans character. But what we have is cross-dressing. And what we have is someone who is attempting to be someone they are not simply because society does not want them to be this thing. And that frustrates me. Yeah. And I just felt like it didn't need to be omitted. It's kind of a weird gotcha moment, especially because we haven't read the other ones in the series. I assume that you're not meant to know throughout the series. And I just don't understand, especially since we find out there's a women's side to this club, it would make so much more sense to know that a woman was part of that team. And how else would we know that if it wasn't given to us because it's not a main character? We would have had, I would have had such a stronger grasp of understanding for the character and why the character acted the way they did had I known that Chase was a woman from the start. It would explain why there's a women's side to the club. Right. It's not just four dudes running this gaming hell. Oh, but and we also women have to do whatever they want. Yeah, like, and we also have a lady work side. put into this. There was someone had a thought and they went through with it. And actually, we find out later in the book how Born came about being a part of this. Being and it's the like they found me kind of a, like a discovering. Story. Well, and it's Chase that starts it, which it's is Chase even that starts more it. strange. Which is great. Which is another point where it would have been an opportunity for a strong woman acknowledgement. If that's what yes. you were going for. It was just very frustrating to me that there was so much potential in this seemingly background character that we could have learned so much more about, especially because there, I feel, purposely weren't any hints toward it. Because I work with a lot of dudes, and I always <laughs> have, and I've always been friends with a lot of dudes. 
And I just feel like even the way their reactions are written are not classic male reactions, which is strange if you're coming from a place historically that has very defined gender roles as you put forth in the rest of the book. Because if there are three men who are doing the classic gambling, drinking, fighting, all of the stuff they're doing there, and they're like, well, just go home and take care of your wife, wink, wink, you know, kind of stuff. And then that one person like, well, don't you think she has feelings? There would be more conversation around this. It wouldn't be a screw you and leave. It'd be like, why you gotta be so womanly? Like, why you gotta have all those feelings? Why you gotta bring your emotions into it? There would be something else. And I feel as though I was tricked <laughs> in this book because of that, you were which was refreshing. Aside from that, I liked the book. Yeah. I, overall, I did. It was that specific discovering, which I wouldn't have known if you hadn't told us. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> but I felt as though it was just not something that was necessary. And I feel like as someone who teaches reading and has done the literature thing, it's really important that you don't have this weird extraneous storyline or an extraneous source of information if it's not supposed to be something that is hidden about your main character. Yeah. If we had somehow found out Born was a woman, then sure, we would have been shocked and been like, holy shit. I would have been the most excited person in the entire world. As right, a like queer a- woman, I would have <laughs> lost my shit. I would have been so excited. But that's not... But do you see what I mean? Yeah. Just as a surprise, it was not necessary. If it had been part of the main character, then absolutely. And that's why I wasn't so... I was excited because I figured it out uh-huh. but I am not excited as a queer woman to find out that this woman is masquerading as a man and is not a trans character. She's just like the secret silent partner which is also fine but that could have easily been mentioned because Penelope does ask him well who else runs this hellhole with you yeah. and he says oh these three people and that's kind of the end of it he could have given us a little bit of who they are and what their roles are within it and we didn't right. get really anything. We got ten Temple is, Temple's the brawn. Sorry, he likes to start fights. He's our, our prize fighter. We They gamble on him. We know right. he's yeah. a, a, a done deal. But we don't really get anything else in regards to what their parts are. It was just something that I felt we could have done without. Or we could have just been told. And it wouldn't have ruined any portion of the story. Yeah. So let's move on to chapter 15. Uh, the only thing I really have is that Bourne decides he's going to do that 180 and start acting like sweetheart. And Penelope is pretty much done with his shit. And I was pretty much done with his shit at that point, too. It was frustrating. His constant back and forth of how his emotions are. And then people trying to convince him. Like, you know, you gotta let this revenge thing go. I don't know about holding on to a grudge for ten years. But I imagine that that is all-consuming. And it would be very difficult to let go of your plan for revenge after 10 years of waiting. After 10 years, I don't give a fuck anymore. Just But you on. didn't lose everything to your best friend's father who took advantage of you when you were 21. And he wasn't <laughs> even his real father. He just wanted his right. land. So there's, there's this build-up. For me, I have at this point been divorced for 10 years. And for me, like, yeah, I can't stand my ex-husband. Fuck that guy. But I don't hold a grudge for what he did because I don't care. I've moved on with my life. It's literally been 10 years. Move the fuck on. Also, can we stop with the wishy-washy do I, don't I, do I, don't I? Just fucking do it. You well, married her. I think he her. knows. I think he knows he does. Like, he knows he loves her. 
I notice he has, especially because we get those hints from the letters. Yes. But he's also very clearly trying to shut off that part of him that cares about other people because he's like, I suck. I just destroy everything. And when you feel like you're someone who destroys things, you don't want to extend that to people you care about. And I think that's maybe where that's coming from, which is not a great excuse for Born to cling to because his life would be much easier if he was just like, okay, I, I get it. I have a, a human feeling now. I have, I'm a real boy. I have like a real emotion. <laughs> so, chapter 16. My first note is, really? You can't go long enough without, quote unquote, stripping her bare? Do all men only think with their penises? Yes. Yes. <laughs> men do only think with their dicks. Please stop it. Sure, you have two heads. Please use the one on your shoulders. Take a moment to step back. The one that's arguably bigger. (laughs) Oh, poor things. I'm just saying. I'm sorry, men. I'm really not. Stop thinking with your dick. Move on with your life. I think this is another fault, is that people tend to equate sex with love, Mm -hmm. or sex with a substitute for emotion, and that's not how that works. You have to have both, or you have to really figure out which one is which. It's so hard, though, when it's like, hormones! All I can think about is stripping her bare and laying <laughs> her on my mink throw so I can fuck her in a bed of cat hair. Just, ugh, stop it. It is, stop it, it is frustrating, I'll give you that. And I think that there was room for improvement for Born. I think. Bourne had a lot of room for improvement, but I think it towards the, you know towards the end he did improve. I wouldn't say he was a fully new man or no, anything, no. but he was definitely on the right path of choosing better things for himself. I guess. Yeah. How did you feel about them playing charades as a family? Okay, first of all, I am awful at charades. <laughs> so when I saw they were going to play charades, that's like, oh no. The idea of playing pretend and being forced to pretend something is the most terrifying thing for me in the entire world. I can't play charades. I've never been able to play, you know, like, role-playing games. I can't D&D. I can't do... I, God forbid I lie. You have to be really committed, like, to the action and the character and all of this stuff. And it's just not a thing that we, like, do. I don't, or at least not our group of friends. Like, we do other things. We do fun shit, but we don't play charades. Like sat around in my garage playing charades. We've done other games. Cards Against Humanity. Let's play it all day long, all all the time. Or what's that one? Heads up. We do heads up. That one's really fun. We play as like a group of friends that we play games. We smoke hookah. We drink some wine. We play some games, but we don't. Charades is just not one of those games. However. We did play charades, like, my family did when we were growing up. And I have, like, a really specific memory <laughs> of my mom <laughs> trying to explain the Titanic. <laughs> and oh, no. I was, like, I must have been, like, I don't know, like, eight or something. And so, like, she goes, you know, the whole, like, movie, how many words, all that stuff. And then all she does is run into the front door and fall flat on the ground. <laughs> and that's, like, the only thing I can remember about charades of my family. <laughs> okay, we never played charades. We played Yahtzee. Oh, we played Pictionary, and I'm awful at that, too. No. Oh, God, we didn't play for a long time. We, we did a lot of Yahtzee. We played so much Yahtzee. We were more board games. Like, yeah, we, my family played Sorry. We oh, played yeah. 
you know, all kinds of, we did not like Monopoly very much. Monopoly is how so you tiny. ruin lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck Monopoly. I will flip a fucking table if you put Monopoly on the table. Just, We're done. Like, We're not doing I it. I don't know. I don't I thought it was kind of a, a human side of him to show him playing with the family. It's a very wholesome family activity. Because yes. her sisters are there and her parents. And he's, like, just kind of hanging out. But it was a charade. It was all, like, just, we got to do this. <sighs> but not really. So she thought it was, and she is kind of getting annoyed with him. Yes. And then it turned out, like, he was actually enjoying himself. And I think there's even a part in there where he's like, he realized he was, like, having a good time. He did have a moment where he realized he was having a good time. But at the same time, I just, I can't imagine having to play charades with the (laughs) in-laws. I think that's just also something that speaks to the times. For sure. That would be something that maybe we don't do, but maybe they do. Is this going to be one of those things where someone writes a novel, it's a romance novel, and we're playing Cards Against Humanity and heads up, and then, like, X number of years later, they mm-hmm. talk, they write about it in historical romances? Yeah. Chapter 17. Yes. We learn some things. Right. About Falconwell. Yes. And why it was attached to Penelope's dowry. Yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember if the If I remember correctly, this is when Penelope's father... Huh? Has invited Bourne out into the woods and he has a shotgun. <laughs> and he's like, We're hunting. And he's like, Oh my God, like this guy can't shoot for shit. <laughs> like, should I really be? And everyone's like, No, you gotta go. Your future father in law has requested your presence. Or her, his actual father in law, yeah. not future, because they've actually been married. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Actual father. And so he's like, Oh, I guess I gotta go into the woods with him. And he, we find out a lot of things. First of all, Penelope's father is much more with it than we ever thought. He can't shoot a gun for shit, but he knew what he was doing when he attached Falconwell to her dowry. He knew that it was going to pull Michael out of the woodworks and he was going to come marry her. And that's what he wanted this whole time. Because he already knew the secret that Penelope had, which was the reason she wasn't being successful on like a subconscious level was that she was holding out. For the love of her life, her childhood love, and that was Michael Bourne. I'm not holding out for my childhood love. I can't even remember who that was. Yeah, no, me either. I don't just know. My mom is going to call me or she's going to text me. She's going to be like, I know who it was. Mom, don't do that. I don't, I don't need to know. (laughs) Whatever weird little boy it was, I'm good. But he, well, and he knew so much more than we let on. And he... I felt like sly motherfucker when I read that. I felt that too. How did we not know you were like that? We thought you just wanted to get rid of her. We thought you were like, oh, well, I kind of like this kid, so I guess I'll make it so he can get his land back. Or I would just want her married off. But because of of this conversation, we start to see that Michael's starting to have some second thoughts about this revenge plot. Because he's finally seeing that even though revenge was what was offered to him, what was really offered to him was this opportunity to truly love someone and have them love him even though he didn't feel he was deserving. To have a life again. Mm-hmm. To be where he was supposed to be and with who he was supposed to be. Right. With. And I kind of respect Penelope's dad for that, even though he was that sly motherfucker where I was going, whoa, 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 fuck face, how'd this happen? It's almost infuriating because you're like, how dare you be controlled like the puppet master but at the same time you're like that's so nice <laughs> oh you're so sweet like even though we don't really like her father throughout the beginning half of this book because he's kind of 
you know, kind of a shady guy. Well, not he has only- all this crap on other people, and he's well, like, guess what? But not even that. It's more that he's the father to a fuck ton of daughters. He just likes his dogs. He didn't marry his wife for love. He married her because it was the best choice. Right. And you kind of, in the beginning of the book, feel like he doesn't really care so long as his daughters are married off to decent men. Mm-hmm. But to find out at this point, he did care. He gave a shit. That was Which cool. makes you really question why he's trying to let his other daughters marry, like, old stuffy men. Oh. But then you're like, I guess we just have to find out if we read, if we continue reading. Yeah. But you're like, there must be something more to it. Because if he would go to this length and claim it's not because she's an old spinster that he wants out of his house, there has to be more to it for the other daughters as well. Yeah. There has to be. You would hope. At the same time this is happening, Penelope is invited mm-hmm. to the casino, the club. Mm-hmm. I keep calling it a casino because that's what it is in modern it's times. It's basically a casino. It's a casino. She's invited, and we think we're under the impression that it's Michael. We get so excited. Oh, my God. He's finally having these like, second finally, thoughts. He's done being a jerk. He's done being a dickbag. We're so excited. And then you find out it wasn't Michael. Right. Because when she gets there, he is pissed. Which I I understand that emotion because if you've already had this fight, <laughs> which they've had multiple times, and you're like, I will take you when I'm ready to take you to meet my coworkers. Like that's basically <laughs> the fight. It's the fight. Like, I don't want you to go to my work. I will take you when I feel like I'm ready for this. And he's like, No, I'm gonna go. Anyway. <laughs> I'm gonna do it anyways. But it it was crazy because the whole time I'm thinking, okay, she's invited to the club. We're so excited. She finally gets to go. It's Michael, the big, burly, intelligent doorman. <laughs> I just imagine the rock. With some reading glasses on. <laughs> and, like, maybe fewer tattoos. Just, like, The Rock. Just huge. And, like, maybe with, like, a ruffled linen shirt or something. Because <laughs> I feel like that's that suits the time. Not because that's what I want The Rock to wear. Does he wearing, do you think his big, giant, beefy The Rock neck is, does it have an ascot or a cravat? You know, not in my mind. No, I feel like they don't like make the them large enough. Shirt. And then, like, the button uh, with the vest. Okay. Yeah. He's wearing a waistcoat? Yeah. Do you think he has a pocket watch? God, I hope so. With the chain on the button? Yeah. Looking real hot? That look real sharp. Okay, I'm casting this movie in my head right now, and The Rock <laughs> is 100%. This is for that fantasy spinoff for later with Mrs. Word. <laughs> okay, so she's led to the pool room, and when she walks in, Cross is in there, and you think, oh my god, it was Cross that invited her. And then Michael's there. He shows up and he's angry because he thinks he's going to play a game of pool with Cross and that's not the case. It's not pool. It's billiards. What the fuck ever. It's it's pool. I don't know the difference and I don't care to know the difference. <laughs> that takes us into chapter 18. And chapter 18, we find out that it wasn't actually Cross that invited Penelope. It was Chase. It's this series of miscommunication that could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. We're going to go back to communication as lubrication. Fucking talk to people. Please. <laughs> I hate it so much. Just talk. Just send me a text message and say, hey, I'm inviting you to the club because... Because I want you to be in the club. Fuck that other guy. Anyways, also, I'm a lady. So they're super angry. They have this huge blowout fight. But it was worth it. Oh, it was worth it for sure. But it's like, it really took that much effort on everyone else's part, which I guess is kind of how some other things work, too, like in real life. Yeah. But like it's just, so frustrating. It was so <laughs> worth it. And then, 
he takes her. He decides they're going to be together. I love you. You're the best wife ever. We're going to go fuck in the club. Listen to me. In the upstairs office where you can look out the stained glass windows and see into the casino. Which sounds like really cool. Like, I'd want to see what that looks like. I also feel like it's kind of very open and cold. (laughs) <laughs> like, I just it's hard to tell like there there wasn't a lot of discussion about what, what the it room looked, like. looked like even in the beginning of the book when we were first introduced yeah. to that room other than that they can see out but no one can really see because they're up high and like all that stuff I got the most excited not because they were gonna fuck in the club behind the stained glass window right but because there was a secret doorway who doesn't love a secret doorway if you don't love a secret doorway get the fuck out of my house I want my future house to have some kind of secret doorway I don't know how it's gonna work we live in Arizona. We don't have basements. Okay, I don't even care if it goes to a basement. I want it to go to, like, another room. That nobody or, knows Or, like, about. a secret room. That takes me into real sketchy places. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. Okay, but I want to build it. Like, I don't want to find it. <laughs> That's not what I want. It. So, chapter 19, they have sex behind the stained glass windows. And it's a confusing sex scene, quite honestly. It, I, I didn't know where body parts were. Well, and then they moved from, like, one place to another, and they end up on, like, the settee or, like, the chase lounge or whatever. This is where I decided that referring to the penis, the dick, the cock, the twig and berries as literally anything regarding steel (laughs) was frustrating. We get it! He's hard, but he's not that hard. Calm down. It's not steel. Stop it. I hate it. I hate it so much. And I just wanted her to tell him that she loved him. I felt like at that point, if she had just said, I love you. That would have kind of rounded out the whole ordeal. I think it would have made him already. He was already in that place and he was already trying to be like super honest. And she was still being like, I don't know. I don't want to say she was being mean to him, but she's like withholding a lot, even though this is exactly what she's wanted. And I think that was also frustrational for me. It's like, you're getting what you want, and you're still like, no, <laughs> I don't believe a word you say kind of a thing. It was so frustrating. And that's so frustrating. Extra frustrating. Yeah. Someone's putting in the effort where you wanted the effort, and now you're like ignoring it. Not okay. So chapter 20, we finally get to see what happened to Michael after he left the game where he lost it all to Langford, mm-hmm. and what happens. We mm-hmm. find out how he met the other partners. We find out how the fallen angel comes about, which I thought was nice. We got to see where he went. It wasn't just this mystery of, well, he ran off, fucked fucked off, and said no. And because of that, we got a love confession. Finally! 20 fucking chapters! There's only 22 (laughs) chapters in an epilogue! And we finally get, by the way, I love you. Like, thank fuck! Which is how you know it's coming to the end of the story. (laughs) It was so frustrating. It was so frustrating. But at the same time, that's kind of where we find out they've just fucked in the upstairs. Mm -hmm. Someone comes in. I can't remember which character it was because it's been a while. Right. Comes in and says, he's here. We find out in this moment that Langford has been invited to the the hell house, the hell game, the hell club. This is like the, the pinnacle of the revenge plot. The revenge plot is at its peak. And And now the next part that's frustrating is Penelope's like, no, you're a good man, don't do this. And you're like, listen, he's been playing this for so long. And then she, like, kind of alludes to, if you do this and you ruin Tommy, which she's kind of said before, too, like, I just can't love you. 
And it's like, whoa, you guys just had this, like, big moment. And you're able to turn that quickly? already, like, listen, I'm going to manipulate you with my love. And I'm like, that's not cool. But she doesn't want him going from this new place, I guess, where he's a good person and maybe a better person than he was in the previous portions of our book. And she's really fighting him on this. I think a lot of what she was doing, though, was to say, hey, if you do this, this won't work between us. And we just confessed our love for each other. Is that something that you're willing to explore? And that's a good question, because in real life, that happens. In real life, sometimes people are like, listen, if you do this thing, I can't do this thing. Don't give ultimatums. Big fan of the no ultimatums here. It We're never both works fans. out. So I understood why Penelope was coming from this place because Michael hasn't been there for her. This is a very new situation. And I think she maybe feels a little bit like she can't trust him still. And so he kind of just is like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And he, like, leaves her crying, which is also not cool. Don't leave someone crying after you have sex with them. That's rude. <laughs> That's emotionally damaging. That's enough to make me go, okay, I never want anything ever again. Just don't touch me. But then we get to the next part of the book, the final portions. Oh, so Michael goes down. So good. He's go. He goes down. He's going to play a game of essentially blackjack. Mm. It's, it's 21. And he's going to try to win everything back. And he's not only going to try to win everything back, he's got some other things that he's laid out on the table. Right. And he tells Penelope when he's going down that she needs to stay up there, continue adjusting the thousand petticoats she obviously has on. And Penelope doesn't listen because, of course, she doesn't. God forbid the woman just says, okay. I kind of like Penelope for not being complacent and saying, okay, I'll wait up here. In this specific portion, In this specific portion, Yeah. And it, she goes down, and Lankford doesn't want any part of it. He doesn't want to do it. He's like, I already did my, my winning. Fuck you. I'm not doing this. And Penelope says, if you won't play him, I want you to play me. He's like, I'm not playing a woman. It's not happening. She goes, well, that's interesting, you know. Michael just put up that he'll let all of Tommy's information out if you don't play him. But if you do and you win, he won't. So take your pick. But I also have this other Mm-hmm. piece of information and you know what I'm talking about and it kind of makes Langford scared oh shit what else does she have right and so he plays the game can I just point out she has literally never played Jack blackjack and she fucking wins okay but like beginner's luck is is that what it is and bluffing lots of bluffing lots of bluffing which is like really important right at this moment but I think at the same time there's a parallel yes if you noticed in the book Every time someone in the Hell Club is playing a game, Michael tries to decide the outcome. Dice are being thrown. He tells what it's going to land on. Oh, sure. Because he's addicted to gambling and he's very aware of that. Yes. That's why he refuses. The roulette wheel is going and he chooses a square in his head and he's always wrong. And we get that one instance where Penelope won Mm -hmm. in roulette. So it's kind of like, this is the turning point. She's my lucky rabbit's foot, if you will. Right. She's going to win this. And she does. She wins. She wins it all, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Not only does she win, she also wins, I believe, Langford's life, essentially. A shit ton of his land. Just so much of his land in the end. And I got so excited that I really, really, really wanted Penny to give it all to Tommy because Tommy isn't Langford's. And I was like, just give it all to Tommy. He deserves it. It's his. Just give right. it to him. He's had a shit life. His dad's a dick and not even his real dad. Just give it all to Tommy. And it doesn't go there. And the overall thing at the end is that love conquers all. 
wanted to vomit. I wanted to vomit. I feel like the even more important part of the ending of this book, though, was that we finally got the badass Penelope that we knew we could have from the throughout beginning. the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. She not only stepped up for her husband and her newfound love of him, but for herself. Because in doing this, she didn't compromise on her deal with Borg. She still fought for what she wanted. She fought for the information to belong to her. Yes. So that meant that it was completely out of his hands, which she knew would make him ultimately feel better because he told her, I can't promise you that I won't do this because this is between me and him and it will shame Langford. Yes. And I think it's really important to point out that this was the one moment where we saw her kind of in all of her glory being like, you can trust me with this and you can let me do this fight. And it's not fighting for you, but fighting with you the way that she did it. Yes. And I think that was a huge turning point in her as our protagonist. I think it was a huge turning point in their relationship as well, because it shows, listen, you don't have to do this by yourself. I'm here for you. I can do this. It was a way more supportive instance than it could have been. Yes. It could have been very flat. It could have been, well, she won and she gets to do whatever she wants, and he is even more in love with her for it. But it wasn't that. And I think I really, really appreciated that as, like, a feminist overtone Mm -hmm. of, yeah, my husband told me not to do this, and yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to do this because I want to. And I have the better of my family or the better of my spouse or whatever in mind. Yes. It wasn't something where she was like being reckless and out of control and I think I truly appreciated that part of her character I I did I did appreciate that Mm -hmm. she got up and the reason why I chose this particular series is because I actually follow Sarah McLean on Twitter she is very interactive on Twitter on Twitter on Twitter Twitter. she's very interactive on Twitter Mm -hmm. and she is a feminist, and she does stand for these things. And when I was researching the books that we were going to read, I wanted to read books that did have strong overtones in regards to the feminism and the female characters not being these sure. weak, sad women that can't do anything for themselves. I wanted them to have an overall arc where they thought they couldn't do these things, but through the story they grew to understand that, yes, they can. They are strong women. Okay, and I think definitely at the end we see that for sure. I wouldn't say that it's throughout the entire book. No. But definitely the end had a very redemptive quality to it. It did. It did. Right. And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And, you know, this is a book that was published in... Grab this spreadsheet because it tells me publication dates. This was published in 2012. Okay, so it's had a little bit of time and a little bit of metamorphosis. At least my copy was published in 2012. Okay. So it's had time, and, and feminism, as we know, has grown quite a bit in, in the seven last years. seven years, yes. Yeah. So it, it was nice to read. Let's talk about the epilogue. <laughs> the one that you feel is unnecessary, if I'm not mistaken. Yes! It... <laughs> I wanted the epilogue to be Michael and Penelope riding off into the sunset and having a good life. We didn't get that. No, we got a completely different thing. We didn't even get the characters from the fucking book. We got a sneak peek. At book two. Which is Pippa, Pippa and Cross. So Penelope's sister and Cross. Right. And uh, do you remember what she says to Cross? No, but I know that he's shirtless. Because he was sleeping on the floor. And he, and she, like, comes in to the office, which is also a weird place to bring us 
So, he says, well, since you came all the way here, how may I be of service, Lady Philippa? She took a deep breath, released it. I require ruination, and I hear you are an expert in the subject. Literally the last sentence. She wants Cross to fuck her. I don't think that's what that means. Uh, I think that's what we're meant to think it means. But remember, she's going to want her reputation ruined. So think about how Bourne ruined Penelope. There wasn't actual like public knowledge of what actually happened. It was more that her reputation is ruined and she doesn't have to marry that guy. I think that's what that's getting at. But I understand the frustration with the epilogue. Normally, the epilogue is something that ties the current book to the next book or tells us the after effects of what has happened by the end of the original book. And we got neither of those because we don't have an explanation about how Pippa is suddenly in Cross's office or living space. We don't have any happily ever after moment, which I know we talked about as being kind of high ranking in what we really like in a romance yeah. novel. And so that was taken from us because he mentions, Bourne mentions, that he can easily see having children with Penelope suddenly. Yeah. And all of this stuff. And you think that would have been like the perfect epilogue. Can I have an epilogue of where all she their has kids or blonde hair, blue eyed babies, fucking sound of music style. <laughs> That's all I wanted. And I got, please ruin me. Which I don't like my betrothal. It's also frustrating. Yeah, but it, it leads into the next book. And again, there are four books in the series, and we might get a crossover with Bourne and Penelope in the other books. But I just wanted that fucking Sound of Music ending with all the little blonde babies singing on a fucking hill in Surrey. It's just not maybe what we expected. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And I know that in my experience, I like when the epilogue ties in and kind of ends it all nicely. It would have been, it would have just... It would have been an easy epilogue, too. It, oh, so simple. Right. Especially so because she just proved how much she loves him and how witty and smart she is and how he can trust her and all this stuff. And they can move forward with their beautiful, blissful, happy life. And then I would have picked up book two and went, now who am I dealing with? I didn't want to know who I'm dealing with in book two. Because we already knew Philippa was going to be another book because of who she's described as being betrothed to. Yes. As the old man who... It's is like gross. really dumb, yeah, and de- like won't recognize that she's smart. So we already knew that was coming. I didn't need the epilogue to be. Oh, and then it's going to be Philip and Cross. Stay tuned for book two. Not just give me the happily ever after in the epilogue. I'll get to book two. Should we rank this? Should we make a ranking system when we finish a book? I was going to ask you. Oh, really? Why didn't we talk about this? <laughs> Out of five stars. Oh, stars. Okay, Let's do it a star rating because this is how I rate my books. Can I do half stars? You are. You can do fucking quarter stars. Oh, I don't think I'll get that crazy. Oh, I do. Oh, uh-oh. 3.25. Wow. 3.5. 3.75. Very star amount. Listen, I know what I'm doing with this star amount. Sometimes you got to put like one extra leg of that star when it's a half star, but let's go ahead and toss that other Just leg in there. Not one. Thing. Yeah. So out of five stars. <laughs> yes. What do you rate this? I feel like based on my personal needs within a romance novel. Okay. I'm going to maybe give this a 3.5. It was not a terrible novel. As far as romance novels go, it was decent. The characters were pretty well fleshed out, even though we had some issues with some of the background characters. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking more our main characters. Um, it was frustrating throughout the middle, but that's not abnormal for any romance novel because it's usually like a battle within yourself. Yeah. And, stuff. and I think that the ending of the book had a lot of redeeming qualities. Okay. 
because it could have been a very disappointing ending had we had Michael go back and do the gambling himself. And I think that would have been a point of contention between the two of us over whether or not that was Can you high. Can you see from where you're sitting across the room what I made my rating? Oh my gosh, did you give <laughs> the same rating? So I finished this book 11 days ago, and I wrote my rating without talking to Kat about doing a star <laughs> rating at the end of our books, and I rated the book a three and a half star book. That is so weird. <laughs> but for different reasons or for the same reasons? Um, I did it for different reasons, okay. I think. Because uh, we agreed on a lot of the points. I feel like we agreed on a lot of the points that I cited. Yeah. But I know that you had very different expectations compared to mine being kind of a newbie in the historical romance genre. I did. I gave it a three and a half star because of, mainly, it was almost a 3.75. The whole okay. situation with Chase pissed me off. Okay. Okay. That irritated me. The whole carriage ride from her home to whatever his new house is. Oh, yeah. You did not like. I hated that. I hate, oh, I hate stilted conversation. I hate small talk in real life. Don't, I don't care. Don't care. And it was a whole chapter where I texted Kat and I said, does this change? Please, dear God, don't let it be this slow. I don't want to DNF a podcast book. It's gonna suck. For me, overall, I enjoyed the character arc. I enjoyed the character growth. Because mm-hmm. there was some growth. We didn't get a whole new man out of Michael Bourne, and that's okay. But he did grow as a character. Yes. And that's kind of something that I do like to see, is mm-hmm. character growth. But there were qualities of the book that just couldn't give it 3.75 or 4 stars. I just couldn't do it. It was a good book. I did enjoy it for what it was. It was also really difficult because I didn't understand words, and I Googled a lot. (laughs) I also want to point out that this is our very first novel that we've read together. Yes. And done a podcast for. So there may at some point be a time where we compare this book again to other books we've read, because this is the very first one, and I don't know about you, but I'm being a little bit reserved with my star ratings. Yeah. I didn't lowball. No. But I, I was trying to be realistic with my, my rating and my reasons, because I have read a lot of romance, and I have read far worse romance, <laughs> and some better, but not by leaps and bounds. It's yeah. a very, very similar book to other books I've read, and I think that there should be a point, and probably will be a point, where we objectively look at, like, this historical romance compared to the other two that we've read, or the other one, and see if we change our ratings. So should we, at this point, then, discuss not only doing a star rating, but also doing a ranking system where where we would rank the books compared to the other books that we've read? I think that we could do that, but we would also have to figure out if we're doing an overall ranking where we are putting just all of the books in one place and putting them in our order, or are we doing it by genre? Like, with, like within subsets. subgenres. Yeah. Okay. We can discuss that off mic. Let's do <laughs> that. It's so much fun hearing myself talk. Because <laughs> you have headphones on and it's I so don't. It's so weird, though. I think it was good for what it was. I enjoyed it. I mean, I did my star rating more on the story, the plot, and also the writing style. I do a lot on the writing style as well. If I don't like your writing style, I'm sorry, but you will lose at least Once we half got a star. past the she would not be cowed line, <laughs> I think we did a lot better. Kat hated that line a lot. Because it came up so much. And because I don't like the word cowed. 
I feel like there are other words I would use, but that's a personal preference. That's a personal thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I think we're going to end it here. Yes. Stay tuned. We're going to be discussing the first half of A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole. Yay! Um, I'm really loving it. I'm not that far in. I'm not even close to halfway yet. It's going to give you a strong Wakanda vibe. I already have strong Wakanda vibes. I told my parents about the basic plot and my dad was like... This is like that Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so I loved I loved Black Panther. I met Alyssa Cole. She's a wonderful woman. It was a lot of fun. And um, I am already strong Wakanda vibes. Like hardcore. You can tell, right? Wakanda forever. Yeah, you can tell there's a little uh, inspiration in there. But okay, so overall solid 3.5 rating. Would I recommend this as a read? I would say yes. I would if recommend you're someone it. that likes historical romance or is new to it. If I, you don't like it, then I would say this is the mind-altering one. This to is read. not the one to read if you don't like historical. This is not going to change your opinion because it's very similar. Yes, this is the book that if you are brand new to historical romance, this is the book that I would suggest. Yes. Uh, mostly because I was mostly brand new to historical <laughs> romance. Uh, so 100%, I would suggest this, um, and I would suggest it with the caveat to keep an open mind. Yes. So we'll see everyone next time. Yeah. When we are ready for the first half. Are we going to do half? We're going to do, we're going to do it in halves just okay. because it is easier for all of us, I okay, think. So the first half of the Alyssa Cold Book of Princess in Theory will be our next podcast. And I'm so excited to talk about it because again, Wakanda forever. We'll see you next week. It's great. Bye. Bye.